0: it's that postdoc who's like if i just get this nature paper everything will be okay either it's not gonna happen or even if you get that everything is not gonna be okay
1: welcome to hello phd a podcast for scientists and the people who love them today on the show we talk with a career counselor about supporting postdocs who want to step off the tenure track stay with us
2: And we're back. This is Hello PhD episode 27. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arniman And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab.
1: Hi, Dan. Hello, Josh. I have a very special treat for you this week. Lay it on me. Well, you know how we, we normally do our ethanol section and we have an IPA that comes kind of from the North Carolina area?
2: yeah what's what's new this week
1: well we're gonna do something totally wild okay i got i got us an ipa from virginia oh my goodness (laughs) i drove i drove through there for the christmas break stopped tried to get something exotic but i just the pull drew me in so we are are sampling the missile ipa from champion brewing company in charlottesville you know dan
2: uh I feel really bad for listeners out there who don't like IPAs. They long for a pilsner. (laughs) I'll pick up something different next week. We'll just drink a glass of water next week and we'll tell you it was like a Bud Light or something. This is my home state of Virginia. I haven't had any of the,
1: what do you say, the Champion Brewing Company. Haven't had that from Charlottesville. It's got missiles right on the front. It's got some missiles. 65 IBUs for your tasting pleasure. 7% ABV. It's think? good. It's good. I like. I like
2: this. Um, so this has some Cascade, of course, but some Simcoe and Summit and more.
1: And it it does not have the piney flavor, the elusive piney flavor I am searching for. I want to know the name of that hop. It is not in this one, but this is not bad. I'm so glad that I <laughs> achieved a level of not bad in your in your taste test.
2: Um, I will give it the Virginia bump. How about that? Fair enough, Dan. I am so excited about our topic and our content for this week. I'm always excited, but we're going to talk to Dara Wilson-Grant this week.
1: That name sounds vaguely familiar to me. Yeah, I believe you have met Dara. So, a little full disclosure background. Uh, When I was a suffering graduate student and I said to myself, I don't know what I want to do, but it's not this. Um, I went to University Career Services waltzed through the door. And I don't think that... I I think they were accustomed to dealing with a lot of undergrads from different departments. I don't think they had seen a lot of graduate students from the biomedical sciences. And so, in that office, I met Dara Wilson-Grant.
2: She was telling me about meeting you. And the first thing she said was, when Dan walked in, I did not know what to do with Dan. Yeah. I And... and Well, my response was, I don't know what to do with Dan either. Every
1: week. And you have to deal (laughs) with it every week. The... You know the system was not set up for graduate students to come in there and and get help. You know they had the the Myers Briggs test I could take and the Strong Interest Inventory, but there was nobody really thinking or talking about what do you do with a with scientific training outside of the lab, and and so you know over the last ten years we've sort of figured it out, but uh, at the time it was just really hard. And and I know Dara went on to actually work with scientists after that.
2: She does, and so. Dara is now a licensed professional counselor and she's associate director of the Office of Postdoctoral Affairs at UNC and a career counselor primarily for postdocs. Dan, one of the things that that I found interesting was Dara actually switched careers herself.
1: I know it was it was inspiring to me at the time. She came from a background in finance and accounting, I believe. I think she worked on Wall Street.
2: Yeah, she worked on Wall Street for a number of years, had a great job as an accountant but realized that wasn't a good fit for who she was and wasn't fulfilling. And so she made the, the decision to step off of that track and
1: become a counselor, take a cut in pay, and has no regrets. Yeah, so she walked the walk. And I think that was what was so helpful just in meeting her and talking with her when I was at that part of my career was to talk to somebody who had been through it and survived it. You know, she had made whatever sacrifices to, to change careers and it let me know that it was possible and that you can find something that you would love to do.
2: Yep. And that is our topic for this week, Dan. That probably fairly common phenomenon that a lot of postdocs go through, a lot of graduate students go through who are in the PhD training path. When you decide, you know what, the tenure track, the the academic tenure track is just not what I want to do. That can, be, that can be a tough decision to come to.
1: Curse you for deciding that. No, but, but Dara wrote an article that, that we saw on LinkedIn. Um, it got a lot of feedback. And the title was Standing at the Crossroads When PhDs Abandon the Tenure Track Career Path. It's a bit provocative of a title. Um, but you sat down with her to ask her about how she decided to write this article and, and some of her thoughts on PhDs that, you know, went for the air quotes alternative careers.
2: Yeah, this is Dara's day to day life is is talking to postdocs who have had this very struggle and I was happy to sit down and talk to her a little bit about this article, Dan. I think all the listeners out there are really going to enjoy this and really get a lot out of this. I know that I did.
0: My name is Dara Wilson-Grant and um, I am the associate director here at UNC's Office of Postdoctoral Affairs. I am also a licensed professional counselor um, and I also have a consulting business called Careers in Bloom.
2: So one of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about was you wrote an article that was up on LinkedIn, Mm -hmm. and it was called Standing at the Crossroads When PhDs Abandon the Tenure-Track Career Path. What made you write
0: this article? (laughs) That's a good question. Um, So one of the reasons why I wrote the article is because, as we were talking before, when I started working with postdocs like nine years ago, there were very few resources um, that even talked about um, career development um, in general, resources. Um, but now I'm really excited because more and more people are talking about it. Um, people are interested in where do graduate students and postdocs go. Um, people are talking about you know exposing graduate students and postdocs to a much wider uh, variety of career options. But still as a counselor, I feel like people still aren't talking about, like, the decision-making process. People aren't really talking about um, what someone goes through when they're trying to either, you know, decide on the direction they should go in or whether to make a change. I feel like no one's really talking about the emotional side of making that choice to leave. Um, No one's really talking about, like, the emotional, the behavioral, the psychological barriers that can get graduate students and postdocs stuck in their career and like I feel like I'm always talking about that every day with postdocs or with colleagues but it wasn't something I was reading about and I know graduate students and postdocs are talking about it amongst themselves Um, but I just felt like while those other things are important I do feel like we need more um, information and data about outcomes. We do you know the reality is the logistics of you know how do i get from point a to point b you know they need to know about options we need those panels on all on a variety of careers we need to teach them job search skills they need to learn about transferable skills they need a skills development plan but none of that matters if they can't even get to that that point where they're ready mm-hmm. and i felt like um that was what I wanted the article to be about. Well,
2: it's fantastic. Clearly, you've gotten a lot of response from it, uh, probably on LinkedIn and elsewhere. I know I saw you had a lot of activity.
0: I got to say, um, and I hope I don't get super emotional, but a lot of people responded, and um, it was overwhelming because a lot of people um, really disclosed a lot, a lot in terms of, Their own personal struggle, and um, it's touching to know that something that was written can make someone feel like less alone. And, And that was like the big theme. People felt like they at the time were the only person going through it. And I know people talk about it, but maybe not at that level. And so For someone to recognize themselves and know that other people feel that same way i mean that that made the struggle of writing it worth it um you know it's it's interesting because people change careers all the time right like i'm one of those people and i think in certain professions you know lawyers it comes up a lot with you know it's so admirable that, you know, the attorney gives up the big bucks to go start a bakery. But the culture of academia, i like, I've never experienced that. Like, i would never experienced that culture of if you choose to do something else, you're abandoning. Like, the word abandon, you know, and I, I struggled with the, the title because abandon has such a negative connotation. And I and I hope that you know, with the article, it wasn't about you're not abandoning. You're just choosing differently. But that stigma and that word "abandon" is used so often, like you are doing something so wrong mm-hmm. by walking away when that is so not the case. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a, it was an experience. And like I said, I can relate on a personal level too because I made a career change. A little late in life and um, it was tough because you know you struggle with you know you've been doing this for a long time you've invested a lot of time energy and money I remember my grandmother thinking I was crazy she's like no one works to enjoy what they do you work to make a living who cares if you're happy or not and I was like but I need to be happy and she's like no you don't need to be happy you need to make money You know, so it was hard to, like, explain to my family who thought I had a great job that this was not what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something Mm -hmm. else and that what I might want to do would pay less, you know, or be less stable. Mm -hmm. Um, That was a big decision, Mm -hmm. you know. It was a big decision, and it was not easy. And so, you know, every time someone sits in my office and makes that choice, like, I feel like, gosh, that was like the bravest thing to do. Because I know how hard it is. And it's probably ten times more difficult for postdocs and graduate students because I think of the stigma.
2: Um, One question I have, you know, last week actually with the new year, we talked about, we looked at an article that talked about advice from a senior scientist who was looking back on his career Mm -hmm. and offering suggestions. And one of the things he said was, if you're in the wrong place, get out. (laughs) And... What I wanted to know was how would you differentiate between this is challenging right now versus, you know what, this just isn't for me. I need to leave this for good.
0: That's a good question. And it's funny because a lot of postdocs, when they come to my office, it's either they will say, you know, I kind of started feeling like this was, wasn't was what I want to do in graduate school, but I felt like, let me give it another shot with my postdoc. Maybe a different lab, maybe a different environment, maybe a different, um, you know, culture that may help me to realize that, you know, I do want this. It's hard to say because everyone is different, but I think when something is challenging, like, it's usually like a mixture of, like, fear and excitement, you know, there's that adrenaline rush, and when you step up to the challenge, even though you may like complain the whole way through, when you complete that task or that challenge, you're like woohoo, you know. <laughs> but when you know it's time to go, you step up to the challenge, you complete the challenge, and you're still empty. It didn't matter, you know. There was no adrenaline rush. There was no woohoo. It was just like okay, I did that, and so I think it's that nagging nagging feeling that doesn't go away even when by all accounts you should be excited about something the paper is published you know you're not excited so I, th- I think most of us know like we know we might not be ready to deal with it yet but we know <laughs>
2: so that I uh, agree 100 percent. that's fantastic so you talked about you, know, you already talked about why you think it's hard, or some of the reasons you think it's hard for postdocs or grad students to step off the, the tenure track. Uh, but one thing I thought was interesting with your article is you compare those emotions that postdocs face stepping off the tenure track as being similar to the <laughs> grieving process. Yes. So talk a little bit about that.
0: Okay, and let me say this, that I'm not the first person to make that comparison. There's lots of literature out there that makes that comparison. Usually that comparison is made with people um, who have been displaced, people who have been let go. Um, There's that grieving period of, you know, I've been working with this company for so long, or I've been this for so long and I'm no longer. Um, And I read articles about that, but I actually experienced it for the first time when I started working with postdocs. And you could see it you know, when they talk about the stages people go through, and not everybody goes through every stage. um, But, you know, there's that, that, that anger phase. And I see that a lot. The angry postdoc, you know, they're just, they're just mad at the world because they're so unhappy. There's that postdoc who's kind of like, bargaining and in denial and it's that postdoc who's like if I just get this nature paper everything will be okay and it's not gonna either it's not gonna happen or even if you get that everything is not gonna be okay um, but then what I see a lot is that kind of depression phase when you know the end is here you know that this is not what you want to do but it's hard because it's like again, I've made so many sacrifices. I put my family through so many sacrifices. Financially, I've sacrificed. I, I, I'd let people down if I walked away now. Um, I'm a failure. That depression phase is like, it's tough, you know? And so it is. It is It is a grieving period. It is a tremendous loss. Um, you know, I mentioned it in the article, but so much of who we are is tied to what we do. I am a counselor. You know, when you meet someone, you ask what their name is, and then usually you ask what they do. And so when you've been something for so long, and for postdocs, I mean, you've been in this environment now for like 10 years, 12 years. So you've been this for so long. Who am I without it? Like, who am I? I have no idea. And I think that's what people grieve like. Even when you're happy in the end, there's still it's still a loss, you know, and you know you could be moving on to something better, something that's more fulfilling, but nonetheless, a lot has gone into this, and you're having to say goodbye, and I think that's difficult for, for anyone. Absolutely. So,
2: you know, we have, most of our listeners are grad students and postdocs, mm-hmm. and I know you know, we hear from them, and some of the, a lot of things we talk about have to do with, you know, these careers and these challenges with thinking about careers that aren't the tenure track. So you talk a lot one-on-one with the postdocs at UNC, and they're super lucky to have you. Mm-hmm. But let's say we've got people listening to you right now, and this is resonating with them. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to a postdoc who's struggling with whether or not to stick on this academic track or pursue something else?
0: That is a good question. My advice, um, I think deep down you know what you know whether or not you want to stay or go, right? The difficult thing is, if I choose to move on, how do I do that? You know, how do I do that? And my advice would be, you don't have to like do anything immediately. You know what I mean? Take your time, work on your exit plan. You know, if you're a graduate student um, and you're gonna finish this up, um, and, and again, it's case by case. I mean, there may be some situations where it may not be the best thing to finish it up. In other situations, it may be the best thing to finish it up, but let's just say you decide I'm gonna wrap this up, get this dissertation out, but in the meantime, this is where it's important. While you're doing that, you've got to do other things. Um, The postdocs who I feel like have been really successful in making that transition had a long transition period. So they may come in one day and say, I don't want to do this. But typically it's like a year, a year and a half before they actually move on. And in that time, they're holding up their obligations in the lab or wherever they're doing their research. You know, they're doing what they need to do. But they're also out there exploring other interests, you know, joining clubs or professional associations. They're talking to people in fields that they think might be interesting. Um, you know, they're testing the waters and taking their time so that they can make a really informed decision. Um you never know what you want to do until you experience it. and you can't just go out there and get you know a part-time job doing something else. but you can certainly take steps to expose yourself to all the different things and then kind of figure out what seems like it might be a better fit. And I can give you like a concrete example of you know a postdoc that I work with not so long ago, and she gave me her permission to use her story. Um, but she was she decided she didn't want to stay in academia anymore. So we put together a, a timeline. It was going to be a year, but she had very clear and specific things that she was going to do in that year to facilitate that transition. And one of the things just to keep herself you know, sane was to get back to the things she enjoyed. So um, she's a vegetarian. She started a vegan blog, and she loved it. And it actually took off and won awards, and she actually now has a cookbook out. Um, but then she got involved in like Durham seeds and some other programs just to kind of have that balance between, you know, the grind and just that, that mental health and just doing some things I just enjoy. Funny enough, the things that she just did for enjoyment actually led to her next position. Once you kind of step up to the challenge, the universe rewards you. That's That's what I believe. Like once you make that decision. That I'm going to free myself of all of this and I'm going to put my energy into, you know, finding a path that makes me happy. You get out of the lab, you start doing things, you meet people, you talk to people, things will happen. But you have to, like, take action. So my advice would be have an exit strategy. Put a plan in place. Give yourself a reasonable amount of time. But do some things, you know, talk to people. You know, you'll find that you'll talk to someone and realize, nope, that's not interesting at all. I thought it was interesting, but no, it's not. You move on to something else.
2: No, that's fantastic advice. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about all of the response you got from, from people who the article resonated with. Did you get any negative feedback or critical feedback from people <laughs> within academia?
0: I got one negative that I, that I I got one negative one that I'm aware of. There may be other negative. Because what happened was people started forwarding it to other like groups and things like that. So this was actually a response, a comment that was put forth to a group that the article was forwarded to. And this person whose name I will not reveal. But I don't think she read the article. Um, I think she read the title. And she was just like, you know, I'm so tired of people and their negative whining, um, was what she said. And I, I, I'm not going to lie, I cried. (laughs) Um, and I get, I think a lot of people are sensitive about this topic. Um, she felt like it was bashing academia and that was absolutely not my intention to bash academia, um. What my intention was, was to, you know, let people know that they're not alone, but also shed a little bit of light on, you know, some of the external reasons why it's so difficult for people to to make that shift. You know, it's hard when you have, you know, colleagues or PIs, you know, saying, oh, you can't cut it or, oh, you know, just negative things because you want to do something different. And so... You know, it, it hurt my feelings, but that was that was the only thing that I I read. Um, like I said, there could be other things out there. I don't know, and I don't want to know at this point. <laughs> but for the most part, you know, people were really thankful and appreciative. And and those were graduate students and postdocs. This particular person was a faculty person, so I get. I get um, the defensiveness, I think, um, because sometimes it's hard not to take it personal, I think, for faculty. Mm -hmm. You know, I am making you in my image, and you are rejecting Mm -hmm. that.
2: (laughs) Definitely. So (laughs) any any last things you want to say?
0: You know, I I just want to say, you know, to the graduate students and postdocs who, you know, are just out there struggling, Yeah, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I know it's hard because as a counselor... Every day I sit and I talk to people about this, um, and I I see the struggle on their face, you know. As a career changer, I've experienced it on a personal level of how difficult it can be to, um, you know, just make a huge shift, a huge shift, and feel like you're starting over. Um, But I have to say, you know, when I look back, I have no regrets. I think that you know my life as an accountant actually helped to prepare me um, for my life as a counselor. I feel like there are skills that I have as a counselor that other counselors don't have because of my accounting background, and I have learned to use that to my advantage. Um, I think I couldn't have gotten to where I am right now had I not gone through this you know. period. I mean, you just don't know what you don't know, right? So I would say you have so much more to gain by taking that step. Um, I am so much happier now. I am so much clearer about what I want. Um, making this type of change has made it really easy for me in my career to know what I want and what I don't want, what I say yes to, what I say no to. Um, I just can't imagine, like looking back, being a miserable accountant like, still being a miserable accountant who just... You know, you know those people who... You know those people who you look at them and you say it's time for them to go. Like, you don't want to be that person. So, you know what? Give yourself a chance at finding something that's going to make you happy. I mean, it it clearly cannot be worse, right? If you're unhappy. And the other thing is, if you start doing something new and you don't like it, guess what? You switch gears and you change. I mean... The statistics say, and it depends on where you read the statistics, but most people by the time they retire will have changed careers between three and five times, like not jobs, but careers between three and five times. So, you know, this is just evolution, right? (laughs) Well, uh,
1: we are obviously big fans of Dara and her work. Um, For those of you listening around the world and around the country, if you want to learn more about, uh, some of her ideas on on postdoctoral training and how to change careers and things like that. She does have a website. You can find her at careersinbloom.com where she writes a blog and uh, there's some great articles up there for more information, but you can also get in touch with her via that website. Again, that was Careers in Bloom. Um, and so that's a resource that, that anybody around the world can enjoy.
2: Absolutely. I've read several of the articles and they are all fantastic. Um, as is the one on LinkedIn, and obviously we will put a link to that article and to Dara's website in the show notes so you can read more. Dan, that was obviously great. Dara had so many wonderful things to say. What jumped out at you?
1: The the first piece that really caught me was her commentary on identity, and she mentions this in the article. Um, it's such a great way of describing how I felt at the time, and I think how we all feel. You are a scientist, and and to do anything else feels like you're betraying yourself or somebody else. And um, I don't know, it's just so powerful to think of that, that that I am defined by this thing that I do.
2: Yeah. And, you know, one thing we talked a little bit about that's in Dara's article, and she talked a little bit about it on the interview, was academia specifically has a very pronounced culture of having that identity. There's an emotional connection to that identity to the point that it becomes hard to leave behind that specific career. But I found it interesting that one thing Dara and I spoke about before we began the interview was her own career path and transitioning out of an accounting career on Wall Street into the counseling world and how there was a period of time where she, you know, she looked like and felt like an accountant because she was doing accounting things and her it, resume
1: screamed accountant.
2: Absolutely. And it's not it wasn't as easy as just I want to be a counselor now okay, go be a counselor, but there actually was a year and a half of a transition time where she had to learn about being a counselor, train, take some classes, get some experience doing that, not just to get the experience to be competitive for those jobs, but just for her own self-identity to begin begin feeling like and identifying as a counselor.
1: Yeah, but then she never left behind the pieces of her identity that she wanted to keep from the accounting. I mean, she mentions... uh this helped me to deal with MBAs, and it helped me to deal with certain types of students. So, again, and I, I feel the exact same way. The scientific training I have, I use that every day. I'm not, I'm not pipetting, but I'm thinking scientifically, and I am planning experiments. and And that's something that you don't just fall into, um, you know, in the business world. So it, it is really valuable, and it really makes us nuanced and faceted.
2: Absolutely, Dan, and I feel exactly the same way as you. And I think. That's important for postdocs and graduate students who maybe are struggling with the idea of wasted time, that I've devoted all this time to my training, all of that's for waste if I go do something else. And that's just simply not true at all. We need to really realize what our transferable skills, all of these really useful things that we've learned in the lab that can be applied in lots of different um arenas.
1: Yeah, you may not do a QPCR again, but you will do
2: scientific thinking again. Absolutely. Um the other thing Dan I thought was was really, really interesting and you know, this did overlap with something we talked about last week and that is knowing when it's time to go.
1: Yeah, I am so glad you asked her the question about what is the difference between this being hard right now and this being something I don't even want to try anymore.
2: Yeah, and I really wanted to know what she thought about that because I didn't have an answer, yeah. No, that was a legitimate question that I will I now steal her answer for future <laughs> reference. That's right. She nailed it and and that is, you know, everything has challenges, but when you you know, one key difference is when you, you know, reach a conclusion or you overcome something or complete something in your job or in the lab or in your career, you should have this feeling of accomplishment and excitement and if you don't
1: if you accomplish something and just feel neutral about it or well that's done yeah it it was kind of formative in my my graduate career but i remember very specifically this time that i had set up an experiment i was transfecting these cells with um some new feature i don't re- even remember what the the purpose of the experiment was but i had fixed them and stained them and put them on the on the slides and i was going to you know maybe the next morning, go to the microscope and look at them. And one of my lab mates came over and he said, you know, did you look at them yet? Did you look at them yet? I said, no, I'm I'm probably going to look at them tomorrow morning, you know, whenever. And and he's like, oh, let's go look at it. And he grabbed them out of my hands and ran down the hall to the microscope and put them on. And I remember just the stark contrast between um, how I felt about the results of that experiment and and this guy who, you know, it wasn't even his experiment, but he had to know. And, and that's, that's when I saw there are people who, who belong in lab and who are so motivated by the passion of discovery of these scientific principles that, that they can't sleep until they find out. Um, and I realized I wasn't that person at that moment, but, but it just sticks in my mind that he was more excited about my results than I was. What about now, Dan? Or How do you feel now? Now you can't drag me away from my work. I mean, I get excited about it and I want to figure it out and and I want to do it. So, again, it's not because I'm just lazy or I don't care. I, I had to find the thing that I wanted to do.
2: Yeah, I feel exactly the same way, Dan. And I think that's a great that's a great tip for all the listeners out there. Is think about that this week as you're you're going into lab or you're thinking about your career. Think about what excites you. Think about what things you accomplish or what would excite you to accomplish and, and really listen to that
1: that voice and that motivation. So so what should people do? Um if we were to summarize, here are some steps you can take. I I realize for myself I'm ready to I want to still pursue science, but maybe it's not a faculty position. Or maybe I want to do something entirely different. Um what's step one?
2: Well I liked what she said first and that is don't feel like you have to make an immediate change. Yeah. That's very freeing to not think I've got to quit tomorrow and, and start over. Yeah. And it's a process and it may be a year. It may be a year and a half, but you can start maybe to, three or four years <laughs> for some of us. Let's not push it. Okay. Well, it took
1: me about that long.
2: <laughs> yeah. And you know, the key is that you're moving in a direction that's towards what your passions are and what your skills are and what those things you're excited about actually are. And so if it's outreach or if it's teaching whatever that is identify what are some ways i can do that maybe just a few hours a week maybe you start out just reading about those things or reading about people doing those things then maybe you're volunteering a few hours a week Um, but i think what you'll find and this is one of the things dara talked about too is as you start incorporating some of that into your day-to-day lab work you're going to feel much happier much more motivated because you're actually doing some
1: things that that fulfill you yeah, it really frees up your creativity and uh, just, just taking that first step to do something that you like will help your brain. Mm-hmm. Well, excellent, excellent interview. I'm really glad uh, that you got to talk to Dara and obviously I'm a big fan. Um, should we do the etymology puzzle? I noticed she has shirked her duties and is not uh, joining me for the etymology puzzle this week. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm pretty sure the reason she wanted to do this interview in her office is she's
1: listened to the show and previous guests and did not want to be put on the spot. Listen to them flounder. (laughs) Well, as you'll recall, last week's clue was flavor compounds in e-cigarettes can cause this form of small airway inflammation, erasing some of the health benefits of illuminating tobacco. Now, I think when I read it last week, you had some ideas about the nature of this disease.
2: I did, Dan. I actually know at our university, there are some researchers studying the effects of some of these flavor compounds on lung epithelial cells. And I happen to know the term popcorn lung.
1: Oh, that is the common name of this disease. And I need the scientific name, which is going to be really tough to get to randomly, but, but good for you for, uh, for knowing about the, the research, the name of the disease is bronchiolitis obliterans. And, uh, the bronchiolitis is obviously bronchioles. It refers to the small airways. Uh, itis is inflammation, so that's where you get the small airway inflammation. Obliterans was one that I was really excited to find the the meaning of because it comes from obliterate, um, which uh, has two parts. There's litera, which is letter or script, and ob, which is against. So the the original meaning of the word is to be against this writing, to basically to erase something, to blot it out, to take it away. Um and that's where we got the small airway inflammation erasing. See what I did there Very in the clue? Yeah. Um terrible disease caused by lots of different things, not just um popcorn flavoring. Um though that is is you know something that they're researching now because people are using these e-cigarettes, they add flavor compounds including diacetyl and it can actually cause this permanent obstructive airway disease not not saying that cigarettes are better for you because they're not they're much worse for you but uh, there are some side effects of these new things
2: so hello phd does not condone
1: vaping i think maybe if it doesn't have that compound in it it's okay we will get back to you with the flavor compounds that are okay because people come to us for their health (laughs) advice i don't think so next week on the show We'll just The top 10 the safest vaping flavors. We'll have flavors. the ethanol section and the vape flavor <laughs> section. <laughs> Tune in. <laughs>
2: Dan's favorite, the IPA flavor. <laughs> yeah, so
1: many IBUs. Dan, did we get a winner this week? We sure did. It was Andrew from the University of Michigan. And Andrew had a, a very funny email. He said, as a non-scientist who listens because my wife makes me, the etymology puzzle is my favorite part of the show. We are not
2: opposed to forcing your
1: significant others to listen to the hello phd podcast tie
2: them down
1: put the earphones on everybody can benefit from at least the etymology section i fully expect on
2: christmas morning you were sitting around with your family and you turned on the hello phd
1: podcast oh wait that was just me that was just you and they threw you out the back (laughs) all right well let me give you next week's clue uh and we will be sending andrew his amazon gift card great job andrew thanks for writing in this week's clue is, this North American ungulate paws through ice and snow to reach its favorite foods, lichen and moss. I'll read it again. This North American ungulate paused through ice and snow to reach its favorite foods, lichen and moss. Remember, I'm looking for a scientific word described by the clue. Once you get it, you'll find that the literal meaning of that science word is a phrase in the clue itself. If you think you know the answer, email it to puzzle at hellophd.com and I will randomly select a winner from all the correct responses and send the lucky puzzler an Amazon gift card. Dan, I'm pretty sure Lichen and Moss
2: is the hottest new hipster farm to table restaurant. I think in that downtown. was the
1: main flavoring in this IPA today. <laughs> that or diacetyl, let's hope not. Well, thank
2: you everyone as usual for listening to the show. I had a great time. If you'd like to suggest a topic for a future show or comment on something we've talked about in the past, you can email us, podcast at hellophd.com, tweet at us at hellophd,
1: or connect with us on the Facebook page. Or paw through ice and snow and write your question. Winter is coming. Winter is coming. See you next week, Josh. Bye.